Hi, I'm Gordon Lamp here with the Real Finds Podcast, a podcast series where we interview key entrepreneurs, scientists, and activists who are shaping real estate and, as a result, our world. On today's podcast, we have Hannah Henley. Hannah is an associate with Cushman Wakefield's Tenant Advisory Division in Dallas. Her focus is on office leasing and tenant representation. On the podcast, we discuss the ins and outs of the current office market, work from home, and the future of office. It's well worth a listen. Anna, thanks for hopping on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So before we start off, uh, we always like to get to know folks. And um, I hear you're a Red Raider. Is that true? That is true. Bleed. I mean, I was going to say I bleed red, but that's like <laughs> blood. So. Uh, so before before we start getting into uh, real estate, uh, I'm curious, you have a design background. And that's something I that I think is unique for the real estate industry. We've got a lot of uh, soft studies folks around, but we don't always have design folks. So can you tell us a little bit about your design background? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not super extensive, but I will give you the background. So I grew up thinking that I was going to move to New York and be an editor in chief of some major fashion magazine like Vogue. And I was convinced I was like, okay, I'm going to go to college in New York and I'm, I'm going to work in fashion. So college came around and I realized that my dad would only pay for in state. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not paying to go to New York. So we're staying in Texas. Um, but Texas tech had a fashion program. So I was like, I'll, I'll start with this. So I started in fashion management, I believe. And then I realized that it wasn't the job that I thought it was. And then I also realized I don't necessarily want to be in fashion. I want to make enough money to wear all the fashions that I like. So I pivoted to a business major. I switched into the business school at Texas Tech my sophomore year. I got an internship at a commercial real estate company here. And I started with them right after I graduated college. And I've been doing it ever since. So why real estate? Because there, look, a lot of people have their why for why they get into the industry. But mm -hmm. what got you into the real estate industry? Good question. So my dad is a leasing agent. So I grew up kind of seeing what he would do on a day-to-day -day basis. And he had kids a little bit later in life. So um, we were able to see what his day-to-day -day consisted of. And as you get to a certain point in this industry, you don't have to grind as hard as you did at the beginning. So I would see him get home at like three o'clock and I would see him leave for work at like 10. And I was like, he doesn't seem like he works that much. Um, I was wrong. <laughs> There's a lot at the beginning, but um, I was basically telling him, I don't think I can do fashion. And he was like, just try real estate. I was like, no, that's what you do. I have no interest in that. And then I got my internship and I actually ended up loving it. Well, I'll say this. I'm a fourth generation uh, real estate broker and developer um, and, and property manager on my mom's side for two generations. So um, in terms of that, I understand how that you might not originally want to get involved. I certainly. But right, exactly. Things... At the beginning, I was like, no, that's what you do. 
But one of the things that I think most of all that I think we like to get involved with is learning a little bit more about uh, Texas and Texas's great success. So yeah. uh, Texas has been the place to be, uh, you know, maybe give or take Florida or Nevada or a couple other handful of states. But what are you seeing right now in the Dallas market? Because it's on fire. You know, you open up the real deal or the Washington uh, Post or the New York Times or Wall Street Journal. And all you see is businesses are moving to Texas and Dallas and Houston. Yeah. So what what are you seeing going on in the office market? Yeah, so that's a good question. Texas is booming right now. A lot of companies are relocating to Texas. I believe we've had like 347 corporate relocations since 2010. I could be wrong on that. So don't quote me. Um, but it is a very high number. And I mean, I think largely it's because of the favorable business environment that we have. We have low taxes. Um, there's not a ton of bureaucracy, so it makes it easier for businesses to get up and starting. There is a huge labor force for people to pull from here in Texas and specifically Dallas. We have um, SMU here, UT's not too far, PCU, Baylor, Texas Tech. There's just so many good colleges around here for employers to pull from. And then you have great public school systems. I think that is a big factor. Um, I think I know in a lot of other parts of the country, you spend so much money to live in a certain area, but then the public schools there are terrible. So you also have to spend a bunch of money to put your kids in private schools. So the public schooling here is incredible. And we have great infrastructure um, in Dallas specifically. We have two incredible airports. We have Love Field, which is domestic, um, but it's so small. It's 10 minutes from my house. So it makes flying so easy, a little too easy. And then we also have DFW. And um, that airport is actually the second busiest airport in the world. So we just have a lot of different parts that make doing business a bit easier here as opposed to other parts of the country. And it's a lot more affordable. Affordability, logistics, and universities certainly drive growth. Um, in terms right? of, of going along that path, I wanted to double down and touch on something. So mm -hmm. um, one of the things you mentioned was affordability. And do right. you think that's the primary driver ultimately when folks are looking at moving businesses? Or are you seeing additional uh, factors that are really driving growth in the Texas market? So I think affordability is a big one. I think the central location is very helpful. I would say that the tax regulations we have here make it very favorable for businesses to relocate. The only thing that definitely sways people the wrong way sometimes, and I don't blame them, is the 110 degree heat we're experiencing right now. Um, but no, I mean, I do think that affordability is a big part of it, along with a few of the other factors. Look, I've lived in the South for almost five years uh, with my wife in Louisiana, so I understand the heat. Um, <laughs> in terms of the heat, uh, and um, one of the things that's happening is conversation about return to office is heating up, right? And so we have 
the conversation. Some folks are kind of in the right sizing camp, you know, downsizing, whatever you want to call it. Some folks are in the camp of, you know, oh, things are going to be generally the same. I think those folks are probably wrong. And then there's the folks that say office is dead, right? What are you seeing in terms of the Dallas market? And what do you see uh, the future of office in the Dallas market looks like? So right now we are seeing trends that are relatively consistent, I would say, in other markets. But the biggest trend we're seeing right now is flight to quality. In order to entice your employees back to the office, you need to give them an experience. So we're seeing companies that typically were in 100,000 square feet downsized to maybe 30,000 square feet. Um, And they're able to move into much nicer buildings, but pay a consistent amount of what they were previously paying, or sometimes even less just because they're occupying so much less space. So a flight to quality, and I would say at least like a 30% decrease in size is big. And then prior to COVID, I think it was very important to office where the CEO lived. So somewhere near where specifically the CEO was. Nowadays, we're seeing companies be a lot more cognizant of being in a central location that's easy for all employees to get to. So one of the things that we're able to do at Cushman is just provide a um, general mean if they give us the addresses of their employees. So now we're finding people really rethinking where their headquarter location is. Um, And then, I mean, I would say amenities in in a building are obviously important. Um, more so, I think they just check the box that the building has it. I think it's funny. There's always the most beautiful fitness centers in these double class A buildings, but no one's ever in them. So, I mean, I do think having amenities is important, but in terms of what people are really focused on is its location. So the main trends are just decreasing in size, flight to quality, Um, rethinking where your office is and creating a hybrid work schedule. Like you said, I don't think that people will ever be in office like they were before. And, you know, I personally see the benefit of getting to create your hours a little bit more. Um, So I do think that this hybrid work schedule that we're in is going to stay. And I'm honestly, I'm happy about that. I think it's good. But I think people will still be going into the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, work from home Monday, Friday. Um, But yeah, being able to have a hybrid work schedule is huge. I know Harvard Business Review and there are several studies that I've even done videos on that uh, talk about the focus of location and how location is ultimately driving quality. What mm-hmm. are you seeing your clients looking for in location besides obviously location close to their homes? Yeah. So location close to homes is important. Um, but now it's walkability. So how walkable is the building? Are you able to walk to any restaurants? Is there any walkable fitness? Is there a walkable place to do happy hour? Um, People are also really wanting to be in the mix of everything. They want to be in the hustle of the business climate. So I think just 
feeling like they're in a building that has a lot of energy. And typically you're going to find that in your, here specifically in Uptown and in Knox Henderson and even, you know, Legacy Frisco. That is a suburb of Dallas. And a lot of people have started relocating there because they've done such a great job at building these campuses. And it's a campus of multiple buildings. There's restaurants, there's multiple gyms, there's different conferencing facilities. So I would say the biggest thing is just being walkable and being a place that people actually want to go and work at every single day. <laughs> like I walk in some of these call centers and it's like these super gray high cubes with like no windows and it's just depressing. I'm like, I would never, I, I couldn't do that. So I think just creating an office environment that you would also want to work in. Well, I think you're a little too young for the nineties movie office space, but that was really, yeah. <laughs> that is really what most of the office market was in the mid to late nineties. And It's so uh, bad. I'm like, this is so not it. Like I walked in and I'm like, Oh my God. Um, but yeah, we're also seeing a lot more subleases. Um, prior to COVID, people weren't as interested in sublease space, but now it's actually a really good bridge that people are finding. You know, it's typically fully furnished, below market rates and shorter terms. So we're seeing a lot of people move into subleases right now. And I think it's just a way for them to dip their toes into whatever market they're in or whatever building they decided to office at. Um, subway space is it's, it's popular right now. So I wanted to touch back on one additional thing that you mentioned earlier, and that goes to what we just talked about: uh, quality. Quality is ultimately what's driving a lot of growth in the market. And look, you're a design uh, person, and, and you sit there and, and you really can see how that there are probably patterns in the market that indicate what at least occupiers see as quality. What really is quality? Because I know that's a buzzword that we love to throw around in the industry. Are there a couple things that are really driving what an occupier would see as a quality building? Yeah, I would say definitely updated finishes in a building. You know, you don't want to walk in and it be like pink marble from the 80s. So just having updated finishes is super important. Right now, there's tons of new construction that is just literally popping up out of the ground. So that double Class A office is getting leased so quickly. It's the Class A minus and the B that's really struggling. And I would say it's just the newness of the buildings. And right now, people are really ex experimenting with everything. There's a building in Dallas that just had a pickleball court put in it. Um, so, you know, unique amenities, lots of natural light. One thing that we're seeing across the board is previously there was typically exterior offices with interior cubes. Now we're seeing a lot more interior offices with exterior cubes just because it allows so much more natural light in the space. Um, so lots of light, lots of glass amenities, like people don't necessarily use them, but it is nice to have the option to go work out in the middle of the day if you need to. Um, but yeah, I would just say having an updated building and that has amenities that's in a good location. And it's, it's, it really is crazy how much 
more people are drawn to those trophy assets than they were prior to COVID. So I, I wanted to touch on what you, you're seeing as a trophy asset and if there's anything that somebody who's sitting in a class B building can do. Because I know for us, uh, we had one of our investors come in, take back a building that was around 10% leased and go and put money back into it. And now it's relatively profitable uh, after you know a couple <laughs> a couple million dollars worth of rehab, gutting, re refixing things. Wasn't cheap, but now the building's in the green. Um, and there are certainly other folks in the Chicago market, like Bellworks, that have done it very effectively, put more than more than that into it. Um, are there things that um, landlords can do in the Dallas market to up their building from that B to uh, an A minus or an A building, or are you seeing like a lot of other markets? We're starting to see potential conversions, be it San Francisco, uh, New York. Uh, we're seeing it in Mexico City. Is there a way out for that B landlord or uh, does the B landlord have to just uh, just take their lumps? That is honestly a good question. I There definitely is still a market for a tenant in a B building. So there still is groups that are okay with being in B buildings. So, I mean, definitely continue to target the people that are looking for more cost-effective options. But one thing that I've noticed that's a huge deterrent that might not be something that people think of top of mind is the first impression of a building. First impressions really are such a big deal. So having an updated lobby is huge. Having a bright lobby. And even if it's just you know, replacing the flooring and repainting it and adding some natural light, I think that has a lot more impact than people realize because I've gone on tours with clients and they walk in the building and like they step foot and are like, no, this isn't it. Nope. Next building. And I'm like, well, we haven't even seen the space, but they already made their mind up that they don't like how it looks. So definitely taking the time to update someone's first impression in the building. Um, also just doing smaller things like making sure that it's upkept on the outside. That kind of goes hand in hand with the updating of a building, but just make sure it looks refreshed and fresh and clean. Um, another thing I would say that I've seen a few groups do, and it's actually been pretty successful, is converting maybe a relatively smaller office that has been vacant for a while and just converting it into a tenant lounge. And then you're able to say, I have a tenant lounge or even adding a room that has some type of fitness equipment. Um, a lot of times, if you can at least just, if you're able to list it, you're able to get more tours because some people just say like, oh, we have to have a fitness center in the building. So even if it's not the most extensive fitness center, you can at least say that there is a fitness center. Um, but overall, I would just say, figure out how to leave a lasting first impression with the potential prospect and don't discredit how important that first step in the building is. Look, uh, I'm a firm believer in making a good first impression. I, I know for our landlords, we talk about the three places that you can easily take an L, right? The three L's. And they are uh, landscaping, lobby, and lot. And the park, like, look, the parking lot, if it's all beat up, that's minimal. In yeah, that's minimal in terms of pricing, but you can just ruin a deal. Someone will pull up to the building and go, this is a tired building. You can sit there and have 
crappy bushes that are uh, uh, dead all over your location or, or bad grass and you're done. Or you could have a lobby that's from the 70s or 80s and be done and the rest of the building could be class A. So um, great advice. Uh, one of the things that we'd like to touch back on is something you talked about earlier, which is your fitness center. And I know there's a lot of uh, folks that we talked to that want to put one in. And I know there's debate in the market to how to do that. Do you think it's in the Dallas market mostly about checking the box? Do you think it's a wow factor? What do you see in terms of fitness in a building? So I think when you're in your trophy assets, so those brand new assets, it is important to have a nice fitness center. Uh, for those, I do think you need to invest. And it is a little bit more than just checking the box. People that are officing in really nice office buildings, they like the ability to not have to leave. So I would say in really nice buildings are they're a must. In the smaller buildings, you know, one thing I've seen recently is people not even having a fitness center per se, but they have showers. So like if you want to go on a walk during lunch, you can shower. I haven't really had any clients be like super excited about that. Um, but for your class A minus and your class B, I never see people in those fitness centers. I would say those are more just checking the box and saying we have a fitness center. Um, the only time you're not checking the box is when the building is nice enough to the gym can compete with whatever workout facility you already work out at. And I think when it's something like that, it is important to invest. One of the things you mentioned earlier was office structure and what you're seeing is more internal privates and more open office that has mm -hmm. natural light. And I know uh, a podcast that's going to premiere probably today as we film this and probably two weeks in the past from when this uh, uh, episode drops. Uh, we talk uh, for length about open versus more of your privatized office. And I'm curious what you're seeing generally within the battle between open and private offices in the Dallas mm -hmm. market. So this is something that has been evolving slightly. When the work from home hybrid work model first came out, people were really implementing very open office collaborative spaces. So very minimal offices, maybe like three or four on a whole floor and just filled with workstations. And they would make it look really nice. You'd have the exposed ceiling and the polished concrete. And aesthetically, the space was beautiful. But then now people are realizing that having a completely open plan is not something people want to be in all day, every day. You know, they want the ability to take a phone call from private, especially if they have been working from home and they're used to it. They might not want to be on a call in front of any and every person in a cube. So I think right now it's important to have a collaborative environment that does foster lots of social interaction, but you also need to make sure you're giving your employees space to peel off to the side and take a personal call or have some time to put your head down and do deep work. I think that just having cubes for your employees is not enough. You definitely need to provide different types of work environments within your office space. Where I sit here, there's a Fortune 500 company I can see out the window. There are several other major companies, Ann Hewitt, Zebra, 
that are uh, using a model that's a little different than you know traditionally '90s, early 2000s, where they have installed private spaces. You know, those installed private booths to call, installed private booths to do deep work. Is that something you're seeing in the Dallas market? where um, an individual or a landlord might not need to do that on their own in terms of built-ins? Or is it a situation where you think we're starting to see you know, that as a, uh, uh, an exception to the rule um, in the Dallas market? People definitely love those call rooms. I think that those are important. I've seen landlords recently put those little call room booths in their lobby. Um, aesthetically, I don't love that. So... You know, I'm not encouraging that, but I do think having the flexibility to pop into a call room is super important. So, yes, I would say those call rooms are here and they're going to stay. In fact, I just closed a deal and the office is primarily open, but then in the back they have like a row of just those call rooms. Um, one thing that is kind of funny about those is if you don't test the acoustics in those ahead of time, you can get into a call room that just echoes and then everybody around you can hear what you're saying perfectly. So before you commit to a certain style, like do a little test in it to make sure that it's like padded enough to where not everybody around you can hear your conversation. But I think those call rooms are a great gap if you have open office space and don't want to do full or more build out. Those are just easy. You can pop them in the space and it does give more privacy to your employees. Speaking of privacy, a lot of employees love the privacy of work from home. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see the fight really heat up in terms of the transition between work from home and return to work. What are you seeing in Dallas? Because the fight here is pretty intense. I would say mm-hmm. it's it, it's no longer simmering. It's just a, a full fire that's going on. So number one deterrent to go to work is the commute. So that has been something that people have pushed back on a lot. It's just, I don't want to have to drive. So that goes hand in hand with the first thing we talked about, which is the location. So if you're able to get a location that employees are happy with, they're a little bit more agreeable to go into the office. Um, But overall, I would say that people are going back to the office. There's definitely traffic to and from work much more than there was probably like a year ago. Um, And I think people deep down realize the importance of going back to the office to some degree. You can't have any type of culture without being in the office. There's no visibility to leadership if you're trying to build your career. It's really hard to collaborate with a group. And um, I just, going to the office is important. You just have to give your employees flexibility Um, A lot of companies are meeting them in the middle and saying, okay, why don't you work from home Monday, Friday, and then come to the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I've also seen work hours differ. So now people have the flexibility to maybe go in a little bit later to avoid rush hour or go in earlier, but leave earlier to avoid rush hour. Um, So the fight is still fighting. People are still not wanting to go back to the office. I think that now that people have a pretty solid taste of what it's like to work from home. They don't want to go back. And I mean, you know, I worked from home. I never work from home. Like I'm in the office every single day and I worked from home like two weeks ago on a Monday. 
And I was like, wait, this is pretty nice. I can't lie. But then I wasn't as productive. I missed a lot of social interaction that did happen in the office that day. And, you know, it's, it's nice, but it's different. And I think people are just going to have to get used to the new normal and be comfortable in the office as well as out of the office. And to make your employees more comfortable in the office, you just have to create an environment they, they want to be at. At an organization that's been around for almost 150 years and the amount of institutional knowledge that exists, if I just walk down either direction down the hall, that's something that I couldn't easily get from home. And so I don't know how... I don't know how I could have been a young broker and really getting the full experience and really understanding how to talk to clients. Uh, you need to listen in on how people are having their conversations. You need to hear how people are cold calling. You need to be able to walk into someone's room and have an answer to a question in 10 seconds. Like It's just so much easier to be in, off be in office and do business. It takes a lot longer to do business when you're out of office and when you're in an industry where efficiency is so important. It's just not as efficient to work from home. So speaking of efficiency, one of the things I found from Gen Z, and I think you're Gen Z, right? I uh, am. I'm a millennial. So yeah. um, <laughs> um, is that we get asked all the time by older brokers, uh, more experienced brokers about marketing. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I know that's something that there are some brokers, you know, folks like uh, Coy Davidson that have done it incredibly well. I believe he's an ex um, okay. that... Um, that's something that our generation gets asked about all the time. And I've seen that you're on TikTok, you've got all sorts of uh, marketing going on on LinkedIn. What are you seeing from the younger generation of brokers who are coming up? And what's a little tidbit of advice that you'd give for maybe some of us older brokers, particularly brokers that are a little more senior than myself, that are dipping their toe into the social media or marketing? So with marketing, the biggest goal is to stay in front of your prospect. So I look at all my marketing like that. I make a point. I'm honestly not as good about it as I should be. But when I'm focused on it, I make a point to post weekly on LinkedIn, send out monthly e-blasts to all my prospects and clients. Recently, I have been dabbling in the TikTok world a bit, you know, just the business TikTok. I thought it was all dances at first, but recently I've been giving cold calling tips here and there. So that's still very new. Um, I can report back with any progress once we see some, but that's still new. Um, but no, I think LinkedIn is so important. It's good to have a pretty big presence on LinkedIn. I noticed you have quite the presence on LinkedIn. So that's amazing. And also just keeping the material that you're sending to your prospects relevant to them. I see a lot of times brokers will send like a, a market report. And yes, we live and breathe the office market all day. We care about it. Our, our prospects might not care about the vacancy rate in a certain submarket. So putting yourself in the prospect shoes and thinking, what would they want to see? And honestly, I had this thought like relatively recently. So I set up a few lunches with prospects that are now clients of mine. And I candidly asked them what as a decision maker of a company would catch your eye if a broker were to send you something like, what do you want to see? And as no surprise, they were like, I don't care about the vacancy rates and the, you know, 
just the intricacies of our business that they might not, it might not be as applicable. They want to know, you know, how people are getting back to the office and how to get employees back to the office and what people are looking for within their office space and what their competitors are doing. So I think that being more in touch with what it is your prospect actually wants is big. And then creating material that is visually aesthetic. I think that's just kind of the design in me. A lot of times people will put together marketing material and it just looks so off the shelf, but very corporate with no thought that went into it. So, you know, I set time aside through my week specifically for marketing, just to think through like, what am I going to do for marketing? What do people want to hear about? How am I going to create it? Um, so just always thinking ahead and having your prospect in mind. Another thing that I do, I mean, I can't really see a lot of like senior brokers doing this, but um, I go on Pinterest and I like just have business inspiration boards. So like different branding that I like. Um, I think it's actually funny that residential real estate agents, they're kind of ahead of the curve with marketing. They're very, yeah, they're very good with marketing. So I like to creep on lots of residential agents and, you know, not copy, but definitely take a few ideas from it. So yeah, with marketing, I think it's important to be as top of mind as possible. So be on as many different platforms as you can be and be consistent, but not too, too consistent. Like you don't want to annoy them to the point where they want to unfollow you, but you do want to give them information. Look, I think Pinterest is probably one of the most underutilized parts. I love it. I got off Instagram recently and I, instead of like when I wanted to scroll on Instagram, I would scroll through Pinterest and it was such a good month for me. It like, (laughs) it's very underutilized. Um, So talking about underutilized things, uh, I wanted to double back on uh, LinkedIn. And I I know Mm -hmm. LinkedIn is one of the most hated on aspects of social media. What do you see as the use for LinkedIn with your clients, because there's so many people that all they do is dog it. But I think there's a lot of applicability, at least in our industry. Um, People in our industry, especially that are client facing, need to be on LinkedIn. That's where you're going to find your prospects. And it's social media to connect with your prospects. I think that people forget that a huge part of our business is building relationships. And I think they overlook that you can build relationships on LinkedIn. So if people are not on LinkedIn, I 100% think they need to get on LinkedIn and just posting relevant information. I would say once a week, you just have to show that you are a thought leader, that you are an expert in the industry that you are in. And then a lot of my days are spent cold calling. So I like to use it in a prospecting way too. You know, I'll make a call and then I'll add them on LinkedIn and then I'll send them a LinkedIn message. Just other ways to hit your prospects. I actually have the premium. So I'm able to see who views my profile. So that's actually kind of creepy. Like if I see a prospect view my profile, I, I will call them. But I won't necessarily be like, hey, I saw that you're looking at my LinkedIn. I just am like, this is a good time. They just looked at my profile. So I'm top of mind. Um, 
So yeah, I think using it to build your brand and also stay in front of prospects and get in touch with prospects are the three biggest reasons to use it. But I've gotten a few deals off of LinkedIn. Um, so yes, 100% be using LinkedIn and just get on it like it's a social media. It actually becomes kind of fun once you get to a certain point. Now I can scroll through it and I actually learn a lot about the Dallas market and just the market overall because lots of people post about it. Oh, the other thing, this is the last LinkedIn thing. I connect with really anybody. If your prospect leaves the company that they were at and they go to a new company, you're able to see that on LinkedIn. So then you're able to call your prospect and say, or your client and say, you moved to this company. Do they need help with their office space? So overall, it's just a way to get connected and build relationships. Like for us, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge chance to figure out startups as well. We're in a huge pharma market. So there's all sorts of people that will leave a location. And often when they're leaving a large corporation, they're creating a spinoff. Right. And to make that call is always uh, it's always a great opportunity and, and very underutilized platform. So 100%. not too much left in the episode, but we have one more hurdle to go over, and that's our final four. Lots. My one of my favorite questions that I always like to ask about the final four is look, where do you see the future of office going 10 years out? You're early in your career, but you have a lot of experience. And we find that sometimes younger individuals are better futurists in terms of predicting where things are going. What do you see as the future of office? So I think people are always going to have office locations. You cannot have a company culture without an office or some type of hub to fall back on. I do think that the amount of space that companies take is going to shrink. People don't need as much space as they did take at one point. Um, I think that there's always going to be a hybrid work environment that stays forever. I don't ever really anticipate that going away. Um, overall, just the climate of business has gotten a lot more casual. Like it is slowly starting to shift to less voicemails and calls to more texting and email. Um, what people wear in the office has gotten more casual. Before COVID, people were suited up in their ties every single day. And now if I see one of the brokers in a tie, I'm like, what do you have going on today? Like, it's rare. So it's just, it's become more casual. And, you know, it's going to continue to get easier and easier for our prospects to get information. So, you know, I, you're, we're going to, as brokers, have to continue to educate ourselves and be at the forefront of the trends so we can speak on them. Um, sometimes I have clients call me and they'll ask me a question about something they read online. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I haven't even heard of that yet. I, I need to go look, at, look that up. So, you know, just staying up to date with all the trends. Um, but yeah, I think our overall commercial real estate is always going to be around. I just think it's gotten a little bit more casual. And I think buildings, we like to call them zombie buildings. They're buildings, but basically dead inside. I think those types of buildings are slowly but surely going to start getting converted to multifamily, um, mixed use. I don't really know, but I don't think we're going to have as many class B 
or class A minus office space. I think the trophy assets are the buildings that are going to continue to be built. You need a reason to come into work these days. And often that class B or C building just isn't enough Doesn't of a do reason. It. Yeah. So, um, you have to give your the, experience. You really do. So one of the things we wanted to go and talk about more, um, and we always love to do on this podcast, is a little bit more about taking a step back. And so, mm-hmm. look, you're young in your career, but you still have a lot of experience going forward. And so I'm curious, um, what would you say to a young Anna, maybe uh, in high school, Mm -hmm. what would you give as a little tidbit of advice? So the biggest thing I've realized as I've gotten older is to embrace being uncomfortable. I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable and it is uncomfortable. So they run from it. I've realized that the more uncomfortable you feel and the more you're stepping outside of your comfort zone, the more you're growing. And if you're able to get over the feeling of being uncomfortable, you come out so much stronger. But I've just seen so many people, instead of, you know, going through it, they run from it and then they're never tested. So they never have that confidence that they can be uncomfortable and come out stronger. So number one is embracing feeling uncomfortable. You know, sometimes when I am having a bad day or there's just stuff that's not going on, I've learned to change my mindset and my perspective because now I know that something is going to come from it. I'm going to learn something. I'm going to get stronger at something. So being okay with being uncomfortable, I think is huge. And then there's a lot of noise in any industry, but specifically in this one, there's just a lot of no's. There's a lot of people that tell you, you might not be cut out for it. There's people that, you know, have big egos that might not be the nicest. It's important to just put your head down and put blinders up. Like you don't need to worry what other people are saying or thinking. You just need to get to work and take care of what you need to take care of and not worry about everything else. Um, I think a lot of times people spend way too much time worrying and not enough time working that what they're worrying about comes true because they're not working. So just do the work, put your head down and ignore and block out the background noise. Look, uh, I don't think any of us in this industry could go and make cold calls if we weren't able to be a little bit uncomfortable. It sucks. Like, even to this day, I still am like, okay, time to make my calls. But um, I think that's fantastic advice. Um, One of the little bits of advice that we always like to give on the podcast is to reach out to somebody uh, and give them a book that Mm -hmm. they should read. Uh, Look, the whole reason is to get new perspectives and I'm curious, what would be a book that you would recommend to somebody who might be listening today? I'm a big reader. I love reading. I, right now, I'm rereading Shoe Dog. It's Phil Knight's documentary, um, autobiography on his life and basically building Nike. Every time I read that book, I'm always blown away by the amount of hurdles he went through to create Nike and build it to what it is. And 
people look at him from the outside and they're like, gosh, his life seems so glamorous. And like, he has so much money, but he worked very hard for that. So I love that book. I think it's a great story. And I think it just, it's important to see where people started and where they've gotten. So I love reading books about people written by the person. Um, and Shoe Dog is a great one. I love the book, Good to Great. Uh, one of my favorite quotes in that is good is the biggest enemy of great. And I think that's so true. Um, a lot of times we're good at something and that's enough. We're like, okay, yeah, I'm really good at it. But that book talks about going a step further and becoming great. So I love the message in that one. In terms of just like cold calling and business development, I read a book when I first started my career called Fanatical Prospecting. And it's a really great blueprint on how to cold call, what to say in your cold calls, how to follow up in your cold calls. Um, so that book is helpful for people starting off. And then last book is Atomic Habits. You don't realize how important the daily habits you have are until you start implementing good habits. And over time, you realize the impact that having good habits has on your everyday life. Look, uh, Atomic Habits and Shoe Dog have both been mentioned before. Uh, they are great, great reads. And we have to pick up uh, some of those other books because, gosh, that's uh, good, um, really. I'll, is I'll, the enemy. Great. Write them yeah. down for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, surprisingly, we are recording this, so uh, I can always, uh, yeah. Wait, this is being recorded? No. <laughs> so, there's one last thing, and this is the most important question for the podcast, and that is simply, is there somebody that uh, we should be talking to next on the podcast? The whole reason we created this is to reach out to young, new, fresh voices, voices that aren't getting enough publicity in the industry. Who's the next person we should bring on? So I thought long and hard about this question, and it came to me recently. And I don't know how I didn't think of it sooner. So in Cushman and Wakefield, there is a network of females that are my age. We're all around the same age and we've all been in the industry for a similar amount of time and we're all in different markets. So um, there's one girl, me in Dallas, we have Atlanta, we have Colorado, we have Chicago, we have Florida, we have San Francisco, and we all meet monthly and we just chat about what's going on in the different markets, what's working for us, what's not working for us. And this group, you know, we started off as just hopping on calls and we've become very, very good friends. And every time I hop on a call with them, I learn so much. So I'm not sure if you're able to, but you should do a group podcast with the whole squad. I, th I think we would love to do that. What we need to do is get those names and uh, we'd love to do something. We could always do it um, even potentially live on uh, LinkedIn. Um, and I think it would be a great opportunity to uh, hear from a lot of young brokers in the industry and really learn a little bit more about what's going on in more markets than one. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's interesting to kind of compare the trends that are happening in my market versus their markets and you know, some markets are quicker to pick up on things than others. So the markets that are slower, they're kind of a step ahead. Um, but that call that we have monthly is, and we have a text, like a group text that's going daily. So just having 
that support system and all of this is huge. Thank you so much for hopping on. Uh, that sounds like a huge opportunity. And before we go, we have one final question. And that's simply, what's the best way for somebody to reach out to you if they want to get in contact? Um, I would say LinkedIn. I'm always checking my LinkedIn messages. Um, I'm public on Instagram. I'm back on the app. So I always check my DMs there. I'm new on TikTok and we're trying. So <laughs> if you're on TikTok, follow me. And my email, my email is just hannah.henley at cushwake.com. Um, I'm not sure if like I can give you my hats to put in the notes or anything, but um, there's no H at the end of my name. So it's just H-A-N-N-A-H-E-N-L-E-Y. Anna, thank you so much for hopping on and we have to have you on in the future. Absolutely. It was so great getting to talk with you. Thanks again to Hannah. If you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a like, a follow, or a review. Your comments, interactions, and subscriptions truly matter and help us continue to provide quality guests. You can follow us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gordon Lamphere, The Real Finds Podcast. Thank you for listening.